Welcome back to another thrilling episode of On Stage, Off Stage. I am your host, George Sapio, and it is week number two of our holiday-themed plays, soon to be an annual event you don't want to miss. Our playwright this week is Ellen Davis Sullivan, and her play is called Frosty. The characters are Sam, a 35-year-old Jewish assistant principal, newly separated from his wife, Sam is played by Michael Donato. And Lucy, 33 years old and not Jewish, Sam's wife, played by Mara Stevens. Before dawn on December 25th on a suburban front yard in New England, Lucy's wearing slippers and a sweater over pajamas. Sam's in a barn coat, jeans, and boots. A deflated snowman decoration lies among strings of lights strewn around the lawn. All the colored lights are off. It's a disaster, all right. I can't believe it. Did you call the police? I called you. Who wrecks a holiday display at three in the morning? How do you know it was three? Since you left, I hardly sleep. Two weeks with no sleep? It's too quiet. You missed my snoring? Well, if I'd have known, I'd have recorded it. You still think jokes solve problems, which is why counseling went nowhere. It went nowhere. Because you wouldn't come clean. I apologized. You wanted a pound of flesh. Oh, it's always that. The Jew is the merchant oh, of Venice. Oh, come on. No one ever treated you like the Jew. Well, then what did your father mean at Easter when he said I was never the son-in-law he imagined? You worried about that now? I'll tell you what he pictured. Your buddy, Greg, the investment banker. A guy who'd understand that when he said Bermudas, he meant tax shelters, not shorts. Please stop. Okay. No more jokes. How are the kids taking it? They're wild. I got them back to bed by promising you'd fix it. What? I couldn't think. Joel wouldn't stop crying. He kept saying, Frosty dead, Frosty dead. I can't fix things, you know that. With all they've been through, I'm trying to make Christmas perfect. It won't be. Nothing's going to be perfect for them now. They're too young for that. Suze knows there's no Santa, don't worry. I made a promise not to tell. She hasn't said a word. She's learned to keep secrets. Good for her. You don't approve of secrets. Not telling your little brother there's no Santa isn't the same as lying to your husband about a guy who's suddenly back in the picture. No one's back in the picture. You let yourself be hurt by words on a screen, a bunch of pixels that flicker and disappear. I found them. You went looking. Because you were on your computer at every night till midnight. That's all I did. Spent time on my computer. But to you, it was you like... You made fun of me. You and Craig. We did not. Really? Assistant to the assistant to the assistant principal? Can't you let it go? I'm reminded of it all the time. <clears throat> oh, come all ye faith. Asshole. Hey. You called me, and I'm here. Acting like a jerk. It's not my fault kids made a mess of your lawn. How do you know it was kids? Who else would do it? How would I know? When kids get sent to my office and say that, I get suspicious. Lucy goes to Frosty. Aren't you cold? Let me to get your coat. There's no time. We need to fix this. It's holiday decorations. We should leave it. Let everyone see that... Things here are a mess? It'd be honest. What do I tell Susie and Joel? Tell them I failed. That their father can't fix anything. Have a funeral for Frosty. 
You came to help. I came because you said the kids needed me. That you needed me. I... We do. To make this right, so, so the kids can have a good Christmas. You love Christmas. Loved. Don't you miss it? I'm trying not to. Why do you have to try so hard? It's a holiday. Just stay for dinner. I can't do it anymore. Dole's afraid Santa won't find you because there's no fireplace in your apartment. Which is a good thing, because the building has no chimney. You said no jokes. I have to get through this somehow. So do I. Lucy pulls up a string of lights. At least try to stick this back together. I'm not doing Christmas this year. Lucy plugs in the lights. They don't come on. Fixing broken decorations isn't doing Christmas. It's making things right for your kids. You owe them that. I owe them a happy Hanukkah, which I provided. I heard. Complete with oil fire. It's part of the tradition. Dreidels, latkes, and throwing baking soda on the stove. We could have done that. You didn't want to bother. You always enjoyed being part of our traditions. Yeah. Santa's little Jewish helper. All those Christmases with you in that red vest and elf cap? You fooled me. Then we're even. What do your folks think? That a father should never leave his children. On the other hand... They're thrilled the kids have a real Hanukkah. So it's my fault they we never celebrate? They don't blame you. They think I should have brought this up sooner. Let you enjoy some of our holidays. Like the Day of Atonement? I was thinking of Purim, where we put on silly hats and shake noisemakers at our persecutors. Sounds like a blast. Look, every holiday isn't about fun. Sometimes you celebrate surviving. I never felt comfortable with all that. Like that week, your parents don't eat bread, you know. Passover. Mm. I bring Ritz crackers. At least back then you tried. Sam goes to Frosty and lifts his head. Look, even like this, he's smiling. He knows who cut him, but he can't say. Poor sap. I don't like the idea of kids driving around with a knife. We have to call the police. Who cares? They're... it's... Only a lawn ornament. Doesn't mean they'll turn on each other. Now it's only a lawn ornament. A minute ago, it meant the whole day was wrecked. I just want to patch it up. Patch it up? For, for Susie and Joel. Lucy busies herself with the lights. Why didn't you call your dad? He's handy. He... I didn't... Uh, I didn't... Want they him. don't know I'm gone. You want me to come to dinner so you won't have to tell your parents. Why didn't you call the police to come investigate? You always like to see troublemakers get what they deserve. There's nothing to investigate. You know who did... You did this so I'd show up, feel bad, and come to dinner. Just to keep your folks from saying I told you so. They wouldn't. They just want me to be happy, want the kids to be happy. Susie and Joel will cope. They're pretty good at looking out for each other. I know. I just want everything the way it was. Everything? It's too late for that. The snowman's punctured. I made a mistake. Doesn't have to wreck everything. I'd like to see the kids. I don't want them to be disappointed if they see you and you won't stay. Do we... Do you have any glue? Look in the garage. 
Does that mean you bought glue since the last time I was in the garage? Or that you expect it to have appeared like some sort of Christmas miracle? Sam exits. They still haven't cleaned out these boxes. You still don't get that taking care of two kids is a full-time job. At least you don't have to look after me anymore. Did I complain about that? You said I didn't do my share around the house. You and every other guy whose wife leaves her job to stay home with the kids. Sam re-enters, wearing an elf cap. Are they asleep? I'm sure they're lying in their beds, staring at the ceiling. I'm going in. You'll stay for dinner? Who knows? Is it too late to light candles? Hanukkah's over, but it's Friday. We never used the candle holders your Aunt Sadie gave us. See? Who needs electric lights? I just want to give this one more try. Lucy gives the string of lights a tug. They come on. Lucy and Sam exchange a look. Lights down, end of play. Just want to remind everybody that you are listening to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this is WRFI 88.1 Ithaca, 91.9 Watkins Glen. That was the play Frosty by Ellen Davis Sullivan. We were lucky to be able to talk to Ellen, and one of the subjects that we discussed was, why do you write? Why do you do this? I've written for most of my life. I have always wanted to write. I was a great reader as a child and continue to love to read, and I've been a theatergoer for almost as long as I can remember, although it didn't occur to me to try to start writing plays until about six or seven years ago. And what started that? Well, I had always seen fiction as something that the writer came at from a particular character's point of view. And I had an idea for a story that I thought would be good on the stage because I thought the audience would first feel for the woman in the story, then for the man, and their feelings would go back and forth. And I somehow thought that would be something that would work well on the stage. I um, went to a writing conference, playwriting uh, workshop, Mm-hmm. and uh, caught up with a group that did uh, play readings. And this was a full-length play I had written, and when the first act was read, the most common comment that I received was, oh, that woman's so awful, I couldn't imagine a full-length play having to listen to her. So I realized I had completely misunderstood the situation of the story I was writing, but I uh, kept with the group, and found that there were things like 10-minute plays that I had never heard of and one-act plays. And so I continued to work on those, and I've had some success with it. Did you ever go back to that first play? And what was the name of that play? That play was called The Warmth of Jupiter. Warmth of Jupiter. And, did you ever give yeah. that a second go, writing? I did. In fact, not that long ago, um, I tried to come at it again <laughs> because someone had asked me... Uh, for a full-length play, which uh, I could still not get this one to a satisfactory uh, condition, and mm-hmm, so I ended sure. up sending him an, another full-length play that I have. So. Well, I know from awesome. I, I know from personal experience, and I know from also talking with dozens of other playwrights that there are certain plays that take 
let's just say, have a longer gestation period than others. That's absolutely true. Yeah, and they're the ones that you tend to come back to partially because they give you so much trouble. They're like troubled children or something like that. For some weird way, you love them in a way you don't love your other children or plays, and you want to see them completed and finished. Um, any? How far have you gotten with this? Is it in a, in a much better space yet, or...? The, the full-length play? Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's better. I, what I feel is that um, there's a certain curiosity about something mostly human that uh, connects me to each of the plays, and sometimes it's very hard for me to get at what that is because it's too close to me. I, I can't get distance from it. And I feel that that might be a problem with this particular play, that um, I was thinking about something within my own family, and it was something that was very painful, and I just can't quite get perspective on it to make it into a satisfactory story. Yeah, so yeah, um, matters of, of a personal nature are very, very hard to write about, and good drama almost always deals with matters of a highly personal and emotional nature, and they are by far the hardest things to exercise out of your system. Um, I'm assuming that at some date in the future, uh, this play will finally mature. Um, I, I, I hope you're right. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's, it's the ones, like I said, that sit in the drawer that keep asking, you know, for, for attention, you know, come back to me, finish me, that sort of thing. Um, I'm trying to keep that door closed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a door you don't necessarily want to open, but sometimes you just have to because you know something's in there waiting for you. Right. Uh, so let's talk about Frosty a little bit. That's that's a play of a highly emotional nature. Uh, where did that come from? That actually came, as several of my plays have, from something I found in the news. I was listening to the television, the local television news one evening. It was just about two years ago this time, and there was a woman, a grown woman, crying because her Christmas lawn decorations had been destroyed. And I was interested in this because it was so completely different than anything I could imagine doing myself. Uh, part of it is that I'm Jewish, so the whole Christmas thing is somewhat alien to me. I was raised in a household where there was no celebration of Christmas. But it was also uh, trying to put myself in the position where I could understand how someone could feel so distraught over something that didn't involve she wasn't hurt, no one in her family was hurt, this was a holiday celebration. And yet it was clearly so meaningful to this woman that I couldn't let go of it. I kept wanting to try to explore that. Nice. Um, how long did it take you to get this one out? A long, long time. Really? Um, why? <laughs> um, why? Because I kept trying to make it be about that woman, the woman in the news story. Mm -hmm. And even though I had already, by the time I did the first draft, recast it as a younger woman married to a Jewish man, I had put in other elements, there was still a part of me that was saying, but I want to know what that woman felt. And um, 
I was lucky that the situation apparently was of enough interest that the play did get picked for the Association for Theater and Higher Education's New Play Development Workshop, which was a terrific experience because I had the benefit of a wonderful director, a dramaturg, some fine actors, and um, some great uh, responders who critiqued the play at the end. And despite all of them telling me one thing, I refused to go in that direction, and yet I continued to work on the play. And um, it was then in the um, Boston Theater Marathon, and still wasn't completely satisfying, and I just put it aside for a while, but I was asked to have it be in a fundraiser, and I took one more look at it, and the director and the actors in the fundraiser worked with me, and it finally seemed to gel. Did it go back to the suggestion that the previous workshop had suggested that yes. you didn't want to do? Yes, the same thing people have been telling me all along that I stubbornly <laughs> refused to do. Okay, so how did that feel? Uh, it's How did that feel, part one, when everybody was telling you to, or suggesting a change that you didn't want to change? And how did it feel once you actually decided to do it? Well, it was extremely frustrating to hear the same thing from people that I couldn't see. And again, I think some of this goes back to getting distance from the story. I, sure. I, from, you know, what was going on in the situation. Can you tell us and, what, that, what that was? What, what the issue was with the play? Yes. Um, I, well, as I said, the, this woman's lawn uh, decorations were vandalized. But as you know from the play, in the play, the lawn decorations were not vandalized. It's the woman herself who yes. did the damage. Mm -hmm. And I, I kept thinking... I want to know what happens to someone whose lawn de decorations are vandalized. And people kept saying, no, no, this is a story about a woman who has done this herself. And those things seemed inconsistent to me. I mean, they were two different things. They're two different ideas. Right, of course. Two different things to explore. And two different, I completely, couldn't, yeah, two completely yeah, different so I couldn't ways. let go yeah. of what was my original idea. And I, I'm reluctant to say this, but um, because sometimes when writers say this, it sounds psychic and so, or strange, and, but a story does seem to have a life of its own in the sense that it has to become a satisfying story no matter what you started with. Um, I totally agree with that. I, I have mentioned to students in my classes and to people who don't write, because they'll ask me, how's the, how's the play coming, or why did you do this, or what happened here, and my response is frequently, the characters didn't want to do that. <laughs> okay. We get to a point in the work where the work controls me or controls the playwright because you've put so much into this and you've developed this that a lot of your work comes from subconscious knowledge of the characters, their instincts, their likes, their dislikes. And when you want them to go in a certain direction, you find out they don't want to go there. And that becomes highly, highly frustrating. And I just resisted that for a very long time. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Was it a case of, I'm the playwright, I know what's going on? No, it was that I knew why I was writing this play. I was writing this play to find out about this woman's experience. Mm -hmm. And yet that wasn't what the play was about. Right. Uh, as you say, from the subconscious level, I had written about something somewhat different. I had already put in elements that made it a different situation. And I had to, in some way, 
give in to the, yeah. the elements that were already there in the play. So how did that feel, giving in to the play and letting it direct you? Well, I like to be in control of things, so it was <laughs> not, my favorite, not my favorite thing, but I mm -hmm. was happy with the results. Yeah. So. Warning to playwrights out there everywhere. If you need to be in control of everything you do, don't go into playwriting. <laughs> but, uh, so what else is uh what what else have you uh have, have you written lately? Is there anything else on the boards coming up or Um I don't have anything else coming up. I have um been working recently on a couple of one acts. Um one is something that I also took out of a real situation, but it's an entirely different situation. It's a longish one act, about 45 minutes, that involves a woman who was a CFO of a company on Wall Street just before the financial crisis of 2008. Okay. And it explores what happened to her, uh, fictionalized, of course, but uh, I did do research into the, an actual person who was in this situation. Sure. And I'm also trying to write a one-act farce, which I have read recently is the hardest kind of play to write. And so I'm uh, I will agree with you on that. With that. Yeah. Farce is tough. It's, 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 it's a tough genre to master. Well, I'm just trying to get into it. So I, I'm not looking for mastery yet, but just uh, <laughs> see what I can do with it. Good luck with that. You mentioned earlier... Um, that you are Jewish, and you did mention that one of your uh, plays had a Jewish theme, and I'm looking at your bio, um, your short story, Yiddishland. Is, is that a recurring theme in your work? Uh, the Jewish aspect of yes, my yeah. life? Um, it is. It's um, strange because uh, the two short stories that I have had published after many years of writing and submitting them are both about old Jewish men, so I sometimes think that in my some part of my interior life, I'm an old Jewish man, but um, hmm. I, I've also found that some stories that is not, uh, and plays, it's not in at all, so, you know, I would say it is in some and, and not in others, but Yiddishland, I took from the short story, I made it into a play, which was produced in Florida um, this summer, and it was... Um, somewhat successful, I would say, although uh, still probably needed some more refinement as a play. But sure. it was some, something that I had worked on for a long time, off and on. Right. Do you, uh, you ever think a play is done? Never. <laughs> you keep coming back to them thinking they can be augmented, tweaked, and changed? Well, I just feel that when there's the opportunity to work with new people, a new director, uh, new actors, I see things that I haven't seen before, and I'm willing to consider new things, new aspects, new elements. I, I can remember I had a one-act play, uh, recess actually, that was in a workshop in Vermont um, in the spring, and at one point, seeing it with the actors on their feet was so different than I had seen it before, and I thought to myself, what is that character thinking, and why is he saying that now? And that never had occurred to me in any other... It certainly wouldn't occur to me when I was reading the play myself, and even in seeing people do a table reading, I hadn't seen that. And so there are things that, you, that I find I see as a playwright when I'm working with people that I just can't find in other ways, and so there's always a possibility that that gives you some new insight into the play. 
I totally agree with you on that one. Do you, so when you write a new play and you're ready to get it out to the public, do you normally put it through a development process? To the extent that I can, I am in a playwriting group locally here, and it's a very uh, supportive and terrific group of playwrights and actors come and read our plays. And I find that I get a lot of help from that, but that is a table read, and it's another step forward to try to get a um, an actual staged reading for me. So I try to do whatever I can to get uh, development to pursue development opportunities. Good. Do you have a lot of outlets there for um, small house theater? I, I speak as more of a community-based theater person rather than somebody who's got a lot of professional venues around them. Oh, well, there, there are a tremendous number of um, professional theaters in the Boston area, and I'm not that far from Boston, but um, most of them I don't feel are open to someone at my level. I haven't um, made any contact with any of the local theaters that, um, the professional theaters. You right, know. right. Although I have had, I shouldn't say that completely, I have had research within a couple of um, local festivals by professional theaters, smaller professional theaters. I um, haven't had any continuing relationship with them, I guess is a better way to say it. Sure. Yeah, well, they are notoriously hard to crack open. But uh, good luck with that. It's uh, it's it's almost a separate job trying to get in there. It, so, it is. It yeah. definitely is. And it's, it's not the part I like. I, any time I could spend... Um, writing i'd rather be writing than doing the things that need to be done to get the writing out in the world i agree with you so who's your favorite playwright or do you have one? Oh, i don't know if i have one i would say that a playwright i admire greatly right now is david ives and that may be because i just recently read venus and fur having seen it uh, on broadway ah that one's coming to I our neck of the woods pretty soon i haven't read that yet either Oh, it's an amazing read. <laughs> it, it's it. I don't. Sometimes I find it difficult to read plays, but it it was just a great play to read, and uh, some friends read it as well, and we talked about it, and they all enjoyed it. So it was it was really good. Yeah, I remember enjoying um, all in the timing the first time I'd read it a number of years ago. Yeah, I was pretty uh, much knocked out of my socks on that one. So right. is, is is this where your idea of a farce came from? Uh, no, I actually had the idea of a farce and for a farce, and um, I I thought of Ives and um, actually haven't yet read, but plan to read his adaptation of Say Does of Flea in Her Ear. Yeah, and so, um, but I'm just trying to educate myself a little bit on that. Good for you. Well, Ellen Davis Sullivan, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on our show, and listening to your play. Thank you so much for being on the show, and good luck with your future writing. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you for this opportunity to have Frosty be on the air.